Father in heaven, I just thank you so much that we can be together during these Sabbath hours and that we can worship you. And I pray that as we go through the message that you will give us understanding and clarity. Lord, we're truly living in momentous times, and I just pray that we would be awake to eternal reality. So pray that you would be with me as I speak. Bless this message. Be with each person who is listening. May each one of us hear that which we need to learn and to understand. And I just pray that you would speak through me, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title for this evening is Prophetic Herald in America. You know, we're living in a very interesting time of Earth's history. We're living at a time when we've had a pandemic for months now that has affected large parts of the country. And for those of you in California, you've definitely been affected with not being able to attend church in person and other issues, and that's happened in other parts of the country also. And we've also had social unrest, and we have an election coming up, and there's a lot of things that are going on that are making people look again at the end-time prophetic message. What does God say about what is happening at the end of the world? And so what we're going to look at tonight is where America fits in end-time prophecy, but we're also going to do a comparison between the French Revolution of Revelation 11 as opposed to what happens prophetically in America as seen in Revelation 13. So this is going to be a prophetic study. It's going to be a prophetic presentation, and we're going to look at what we as Seventh-day Adventists should be saying what we should be promoting, how we should be living, what message we need to be giving to the world, and what we should be standing up for with respect to America. Now, I think most of you who are watching this presentation are Americans. There may be some of you in different countries watching as well, but clearly America is a prophetic nation at the end of the world that God raised up for a specific purpose. So those are some things we want to look at. Now, Here's where we're going to start. So Revelation chapter 11, we see as a description of the French Revolution. There's the two witnesses clothed in sackcloth for 1260 years. That's the Old and the New Testament. Jesus says that the scriptures testify of him. The scriptures are a witness of the Old and the New Testament are witnesses for Christ. And they're clothed for sackcloth for 1260 years ironically enough, by the power that professes to be God's church on earth, the Roman Catholic Church state power. So because scripture was trampled underfoot and was clothed in sackcloth during that period of time, the picture of God was lost sight of. And so towards the end of the 1260 years in France, people said, if this is the picture of who God is, we want and so you have the French Revolution from 1793, the fall of 1793 to June of 1797. And during that time, you have the reign of terror, the guillotines. And it's interesting, Revelation 11 describes how the two witnesses, their bodies were burned in the streets. 
of that city called spiritually Sodom and Egypt. That's Revelation 11, verse 8. And it talks about how our Lord was crucified in the streets of that great city of France. And I'm just kind of giving you some highlights. I'm not doing an in-depth look at Revelation 11. We're going to look a little bit more at Revelation 13. But the point is this. Revelation 11 describes the French Revolution. And during the French Revolution, the French decided to do away with God altogether. They said if the, the picture that had been painted by the Catholic Church of God was so bad, they said, we want nothing to, to do with God at all. And so Revelation 11 describes this beast that comes up from the bottomless pit. This is the beast of atheism. It's a satanic power. The bottomless pit in the Greek is the Greek word abusos, which means um, it, it's it's the dwelling place of Satan. So this is a satanic power that comes up, and this is atheism that makes war against scripture, makes war against the Bible, and they said during that era, we are going to worship the goddess of reason, and rather than worshiping God, they worshiped reason, they worshiped intellect, they, they wanted nothing to do with God. Now, here is what I want you to understand from this. The French Revolution started off seemingly as something very good. The Catholics had oppressed the Protestants, and you hear language today of, of oppressed and oppressors. It comes from Marxist philosophy, and the revolutionaries in France became tired of being oppressed, and you had the three classes in French society. You had the nobility, then you had the bourgeois, who were the wealthy, and then you had the proletariat, the working class, and in the French National Assembly, each party had a vote. Well, it was in the interest of the bourgeois and the nobility to, to vote together, even though they were far outnumbered by the working class. And so the wealthy and the, and the nobility, although they were in the minority, they outvoted the majority who were the working class. And so you have the oppressors and the oppressed, and this led to the revolution there were a lot of different things going on that led to the revolution. Eventually, um, you know, there needed to be some fairness that was brought about. But what happened was this. The, the revolutionaries were pushing for three principles, liberty, equality, and fraternity. That sounds really good. And part of that revolution included the separation of church and state. Now, this is something that I want you to think about because we're going to talk about America here as well. And America also church and state in its constitution. So did the French Revolution. But there's a difference between the separation of church and state that came out of the French Revolution as opposed to the separation of church and state that exists in America since its founding. In the French Revolution, there was a hostile separation of church and state. So in the French Revolution, you have a hostile separation, and ever since that time, communist and Marxist nations have, have used the model from the French Revolution to have a very hostile separation of church and state. You can see that in the communist nation of the Soviet Union and the former Eastern Bloc communist nations of Europe, where... Christianity was basically outlawed by the communists, um, other than what may have been practiced by the official sanctioned state churches in certain locations. But basically, Christianity was outlawed in Marxist 
and communist nations. And this was an overreaction to um, what happened in, um, in France. And so, so we have this interesting development of the French Revolution where Ellen White has some interesting statements this is Great Controversy 282, where she says that the opening of the revolution by a concession of the king, the people were granted a representation exceeding that of the nobles and the clergy combined. Thus, the balance of power was in their hands, but they were not prepared to use it with wisdom and moderation. Eager to redress the wrongs they had suffered, they determined to undertake the reconstruction of society. An, outlet, an outraged populace whose minds were filled with bitter and long-treasured memories of wrong resolved to revolutionize the state of misery that had grown unbearable and to avenge themselves upon those whom they regarded as the authors of their suffering. Now listen to this. The oppressed wrought out the lesson they had learned under tyranny and became the oppressors of those who had oppressed them. Now this is very interesting. Ellen White uses the language that Marxist use of, of oppressors versus oppressed. And she says, the oppressed wrought out the lesson that they had learned under tyranny and became the oppressors of those who had oppressed them. So here's what we, we see. From the French Revolution, there's this, been this ongoing principle that Karl Marx has taught of what's called the oppressed and the oppressors. You have in society those who are oppressed and those who are oppressors. And LMY even acknowledges in Great Controversy that that was true. But she says that those who had been oppressed were not prepared to use with wisdom and moderation the power that they were given. Yes, if there are issues that are taking place, where people are being oppressed, we as God's people should speak up and say this is wrong, and we should use biblical principles to speak up for those who are oppressed. But in the French Revolution, that's not what happened. What happened in the French Revolution is what we call anarchy. And Anne, and you guys know this, you're smart, but Anne in the English language means without, and arc means law. So without law, with, without, or excuse me, archie means rule. So without rule. So there's, without, there's no rule. And so what you have in the French Revolution is anarchy. And Ellen White has another statement about what happened in France and what's going to happen at the end of the world. This is education page 228. She says, at the same time, anarchy is seeking to sweep away all law, not only divine, but human the centralizing of wealth and power, the vast combinations for the enriching of the few the ex at the expense of the many, the combinations of the poorer classes for the defense of their interests and claims, the spirit of unrest, of riot and bloodshed, the worldwide dissemination of the same teachings that led to the French Revolution, all are tending to involve the whole world in a struggle similar to that which convulsed France. Such are the influences to be met by the youth of today. Now, this is a very interesting quote because she's saying, Anarchy is trying to sweep away all law. Anarchy is not something that we as God's people should be supporting. Yes, we should stand in defense of those who are oppressed, but we do not do so with the spirit of anarchy that sweeps away all law. And Ellen White says that the worldwide dissemination of the same teachings that led to the French Revolution, what were those teachings? They were Marxism of labeling uh, you know, classes based on if you're oppressed or an oppressor. And so you have these issues 
in the world today that have really sprung up in the last several months. And clearly, we need to be mindful of those who are being oppressed, but we don't help them out by promoting anarchy. And then Ellen White makes one last statement that I'm going to read about the French Revolution before I make some comparisons between the French Revolution and the American Revolution. This is from Last Day Events, page 95. Ellen White says, let all who would understand the meaning of these things read the 11th chapter of Revelation. Now, the 11th chapter of Revelation is describing the French Revolution. She says, read every verse and learn the things that are yet to take place in the cities. Read also the scenes portrayed in the 18th chapter of the same book. Revelation 18 describes the loud cry where the world... Um, is called to come out of Babylon, and then the, the, the rich men of the earth lament the fall of Babylon. Here's the interesting thing, though, when Ellen White says, read every verse and learn the things that are yet to take place in the cities. What Ellen White is saying is, look at Revelation 11, and look at the French Revolution, and look at the anarchy, look at the guillotine. It was a reign of terror. People were turning against each other. So Robespierre starts the revolution, and... Louis XVI at the guillotine, and before too long, Robespierre himself was killed at the guillotine, and estimates placed between 20 to 40,000 people who died at the guillotine during the revolution. It was awful. People were climbing over each other to try to get to the top to be in control, and it was just complete lawlessness, complete anarchy. When God was removed from society, you had total anarchy. So they have separation of church and state, but they had a hostile separation of church and state where God was removed from society completely. And that's an important point, because when God was removed from French society completely, what you get is anarchy, where this beast from the bottomless pit, the satanic power of atheism, takes control of society. And rather than being a utopia, as the revolutionaries claimed it would be, it turned into a complete reign of terror which is nothing that anybody would want to be part of. And so that's what happens in France. And Ellen White says that the worldwide dissemination of the same teachings that led to the French Revolution are going to happen again before Jesus comes back. And she says that this is what's going to take place in the cities. So I want to make a little pitch to you right now. If you haven't thought about leaving the cities before you know, too long, now would be a good time to start mapping out a strategy because if you see what's been happening in the last several months, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to realize that what is happening in isolate, well, in a few cities like Portland or Seattle or Chicago or New York or places like that will eventually spread to many other cities as we get closer to the coming of Jesus and as the Spirit of God is withdrawn from the earth. So why did I mention this? Well, I'm contrasting what happened in France from 1793 to 1797 with what happened in America around the same period of Earth's history, where you have the American Revolution and the Declaration of Independence in 1776, and eventually America forms a constitutional republic and elects its first president, George Washington, in the early 1790s, right around the same time that the French Revolution is taking place. And, you know, America had a different perspective than, than France. France was reacting to the abuses of the papacy. America, they were looking, for, and Americans, they were looking for liberty, both 
from a religious standpoint and a civil standpoint. Uriah Smith says very well in his book, Daniel and the Revelation, page 580, that those who came to America were looking for a country where there was a church without a pope and a state without a king. So we don't want a monarchy where a king is a dictator. And we don't want church where there's a pope that rules over us like a dictator either. We want religious and civil liberty. So you look at Revelation 11, you have a beast coming up out of the bottomless pit. This is a satanic power. It leads to a revolution that burns the Bibles in the streets and Jesus is crucified. God is done away with completely. And it leads to a reign of terror where there's anarchy, where um, it's it's a terrible situation. And eventually the revolution ends and God was reinstated into French society. And it was, you know, for the good of France that that happened once the revolution was over. But America had a different model. And this is where we look at Revelation 13. Now, I've been studying Revelation pretty intensely. You know, Luke mentioned that I've written a book on Daniel. I'm working on a book on Revelation now, and I've recently gone through Revelation 13. It's a very fascinating chapter to study. You know, the first 10 verses are specifically describing the first beast, which comes up out of the sea. It's describing the Roman Catholic Church state power. It has a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, just like the little horn power of Daniel 7. But then we come to verse 11. And this is where we're going to contrast the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit in Revelation 11 versus this second beast of Revelation 13, which is very interesting. Revelation 11, excuse me, Revelation 13 verse 11 says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So the first beast came up out of the sea, out of the populated areas of the earth. We understand that waters represent nations, multitudes, tongues, and kings based on Revelation 17, 15. So by contrast, the earth is an unpopulated area. Now, when you look at the first beast of Revelation 13, it has seven heads, 10 horns, and 10 crowns on the horns. And the crowns on the horns represent the kings of the earth that support the, the Roman Catholic church state power. So you have monarchies supporting the Roman Catholic Church state power. In the second beast, it has two horns, notice, without crowns. So it's not a monarchy. But horns describe po the power of a kingdom. Now, a beast represents a kingdom. We understand that very clearly from Daniel 7, 17 and Daniel 7, 13. And we see it again in Revelation 13. So a beast represents a kingdom. And so you have the horns on this kingdom representing the power that gives this kingdom what it is. So what makes this kingdom, what, what gives it its power was the two horns. And what about these two horns? They're two horns. Now, the first beast, it represents itself as a Christian power. It's the Roman Catholic Church state power. But Scripture says that the dragon or Satan gives us power, seat, and authority to the beast. That's in verse 2 of Revelation 13. So even though it's a professed Christian power, it's a satanic power. But the second beast has two horns like a lamb. Now, the horns represent the power behind the kingdom, but they're two horns like a lamb. So 
this means that what gives power to this kingdom or nation are Christian attributes, which is very interesting. Now, this is the other key point. If the first beast is a professed Christian power that is actually satanic, and it's the Roman Catholic Church state power, and the second beast comes up out of the earth around the time that the first beast receives its deadly wound in 1798, this means that around 1798, you have a nation or kingdom coming up out of an unpopulated area of the earth that is not Catholic in nature. It's Christian and by definition, true Christianity, according to scripture, is Protestant Christianity. That's a key point. True Christianity is Protestant Christianity. That's what Revelation 13 is, is teaching us. So what are these two horns that give power to America that are Christian in nature? These are the horns of civil and religious liberty. See, in France, the French Revolution destroyed Christianity altogether, which by definition destroys the religious liberty of the, the subjects of its kingdom. And if you don't have religious liberty, you really don't have civil liberty either. So here's where we need to think wisely about where we are prophetically in Earth's history right now. We believe, as Seventh-day Adventists, very clearly prophetically, in the separation of church and state. But separation of church and state without civil and religious liberty is not true separation of church and state. The Christian principles of civil and religious liberty give us separation of church and state because civil liberty and religious liberty are both connected to America, to the freedoms of America, and then by definition, we separate the church from the state so that we have a church without a pope and a state without a king. But we have liberty for both life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and the free exercise of religion. If we don't have the free exercise of religion, and we aren't allowed to pursue what we want in life, we don't have religious and civil liberty church and state separate. So there's some interesting things that are happening in America right now. Let's talk about these two a little bit even more now. So when you look in scripture, Deuteronomy 33, 17, 1 Samuel 2, 10, 1 Kings 22, 11, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 show that horns represent power. So what gives America power? Well, it's civil and religious liberty, but civil and religious liberty are also defined as republicanism and Protestantism. Now, republicanism is not the Republican Party, just so you know here, I'm not here endorsing the Republican Party. I think you guys are smart enough to know what republicanism means. We are a constitutional republic in the United States of America. A constitutional republic is not, strictly speaking, a democracy. And what that means is that within the Constitution, there are certain built-in liberties for minority groups so that, for example, American citizens cannot go out to take a vote to say, we are going to prevent atheists from being able to vote. And so, hey, we take a vote and 80% of America votes 
to prevent atheists from having the right to vote in an election. That's unconstitutional because the, the Constitution protects the rights of minority groups from the, the rest of the country, from the majority, even if the rest of the majority doesn't believe in the viewpoint of an atheist, they can't vote into law something that would prevent an atheist from ex exer exercising his constitutional right to vote, his or her constitutional right. And so that's what republicanism means. It means that in a constitutional republic, the minorities within this constitutional republic have constitutional rights that cannot be voted out by a majority. And that's very, very important. And so that's civil liberty. And then we have religious liberty so that minority religious groups cannot be prohibited from the free exercise of religion. So that what I believe I can practice in my church setting, I can choose to go to church or I can choose not to go to church, but I hope you, hopefully you do, but I can choose to go to church and exercise my God-given religious liberty for the free exercise of my faith, and the government cannot penalize me for speaking out in my local church setting or in, in a church setting based on what my beliefs are. And that's a very important point as well. Some of you may remember the story of Walsh Longo, who was targeted for speaking in his local churches where he gave biblical definitions about marriage and sexuality. And when those views were made known publicly, he lost his job, which was really very clearly a violation of his free exercise of religion. And the alarming thing to me is I found Seventh-day Adventists who were defending the actions of those who terminated Dr. Walsh's job. All you have to do is is substitute what Dr. Walsh said about biblical sexuality and other topics and insert into that topic the Sabbath, and you have the final crisis of Earth's history. And so we should be able, as a minority group, as Seventh-day Adventists, we are a minority group, and we have the free exercise religion of religion to speak about what we believe, and we can speak so, we can do so openly in our churches, and we can promote what we believe without the fear of, of being um, retaliated against. But this is where things are headed in America, where I have some concerns that I wanted to, to talk about. As Seventh-day Adventists, we should very clearly be defending the two horns of the lamb-like beast of America, of civil and religious liberty, of republicanism and Protestantism. Now, where some people get confused is that it says he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. Now, some will point out that there are pioneers who believed and taught that America spoke as a, as a dragon from its inception because of the issue of slavery. And there's no question that the issue of slavery at the beginning of America's history is a shameful part of America's history. And slavery went against the very constitution that, 
that we we have in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So, I mean, you know, um, it, it, slavery definitely is, is, a, is a mark against the history of America. But, you know, interestingly, even though Uriah Smith and some of the other pioneers equated the issue of slavery with America speaking as a dragon, James and Ellen White actually never made that application. Um, in fact, Ellen White very clearly applies America speaking as a dragon to in the future when a Sunday law is passed. There's an interesting paper written by Trevor O'Reggio and Deutschen Zividinovich. He teaches at Weimar Trevor O'Reggio teaches at the seminary or at Andrews, and they wrote a paper entitled The Connection Between Slavery and Prophecy as it related to the American nation and the writings of the Adventist pioneers during the antebellum period. It was written in 2012, and they show in that paper that James and Ellen White, while they spoke slavery and condemned slavery, they did not equate that with America speaking as a dragon, and if you look at Revelation 13, very clearly you can show that speaking as a dragon is the Sunday law because the dragon, who is Satan, gives us power, seat, and authority to the first beast of Revelation 13. And the first beast has the mouth of a lion, and he has a mouth speaking great things. And when you go to Daniel 7, you have the little horn, who is the papacy, who has a mouth speaking great things. And in Daniel 7.25, the papacy thinks to change times and laws. So what's the mouth that speaks great things? It's a mouth that thinks that it can change the law of God. That's how the dragon speaks. He thinks he can change the law of God. When America speaks as a dragon, a nation speaks through its laws, and dragon speaks, just to use a colloquial term, is to try to change the law of God. So when America speaks as a dragon, it will speak as the first beast did by thinking to change the law of God. And when America speaks as a nation through its laws, it will institute a Sunday law. That's the Sunday law in Revelation 13. So that is still future. So as Seventh-day Adventists, we should be doing everything we can right now in the time that we are living to defend the two horns of civil and religious liberty. Because as long as we have civil and religious liberty, we are still operating under the Lamb principles, the Christian principles that God raised this country up to promote. And furthermore, from America, the three angels' messages were birthed. This is where the Millerite movement came onto the scene of Earth's history, and from there, the Second Advent movement and the Seventh-day Adventist Church took off, and from the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the three angels' messages have gone to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, and the message of Adventism is a message that cuts against race and racism. It's a message, an everlasting gospel on the three angels' messages that go to every background, every social group, every ethnicity, every race, every language group. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, wealthy or famous or not famous, whatever it may be. The three angels' messages, which came from America because of the religious and civil liberty that existed in this country, that allowed these messages to go to the entire world. And so 
in this time of Earth's history, as we see what's happening in the world around us, we want to defend civil and religious liberty. Now, here's the thing that we need to understand. When we look at Revelation 13, it becomes very clear that America speaks as a dragon when Protestantism unites with the papacy and Protestantism becomes apostate. And in fact, Revelation 19.20 identifies apostate Protestantism as the false prophet. And so let me read to you a couple of statements that Ellen White makes about what is coming upon the world. Um, this is from Great Controversy, page 442. The lamb-like horns and dragon voice of the symbol point to a striking contradiction between the professions and the practice of the nation thus represented. The speaking of the nation is the action of its legislative and judicial authorities. By such action, it will give the lie to those liberal and peaceful principles which it has put forth as the foundation of its policy. The prediction that it will speak as a dragon and exercise all the power of the first beast plainly foretells a development of the spirit of intolerance and persecution that was manifested by the nations represented by the dragon and the leopard-like beast. And the statement that the beast with two horns causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast indicates that the authority of this nation is to be exercised in, an, in enforcing some observance, which shall be an act of homage to the papacy. So this is in the future, but you see that it will speak as a dragon. In another statement, just the page before, page 441, Ellen White says, Republicanism and Protestantism became the fundamental principles of the nation. These principles are the secret of its power and prosperity. The oppressed and downtrodden throughout Christendom have turned to this land with interest and hope. Millions have sought its shores, and the United States has risen to a place among the most powerful nations of the earth. So here's what I want to say that addresses some current issues, even in Adventism. I'm seeing people in the church right now basically saying that America has spoken as a dragon from its beginnings. It speaks as a dragon now, and it will continue to speak as a dragon when the Sunday law is passed. And here's where I see this as a problem. Yes, there are issues of racism in America very clearly. Racism did not go away with the Emancipation Proclamation, that is true, but I think we could all admit that the Emancipation Proclamation represented progress in America. The end of slavery represented progress. Now, I'm very well aware of the fact that there were Jim Crow laws and other issues that continue to perpetuate racial injustices many, many decades and that are even continuing now where there are certain disparities that are not fair. But you can do onto everybody some of those injustices. We as Seventh-day Adventists should be breaking through those injustices very clearly. But we also need to be very careful in applying, we need to be very careful in making prophetic applications about America speaking as a dragon to something that it doesn't apply to. Yes, we should all speak out against any form of racism, any form of injustice, any mistreatment of minorities that takes place, and we should stand on, on the right side of, of those who are oppressed. We also need to be careful that we only apply America speaking as a dragon to 
what it what that's referring to prophetically and that is the national sunday law because here's what's here's what happens if you say no america is just all bad it speaks as a dragon now because there's racism in america then what you're doing is you're ignoring what god has raised up through the two horns of civil and religious liberty of republicanism and protestantism and that th those are christian principles that have empowered america to be what it is yes there is separation of church and state and how does that work the separation of church and state in america means that congress can't pass a law prohibiting or establishing any type of dogma or religion or a denomination, whatever it may be. Everybody has freedom to choose how they're gonna worship God, but there's also no law that tells you how you can worship or can't worship. And so we have the freedom to worship God. God has not been eradicated from America the way the French Revolution did, however, I, I would urge caution from both sides of the political spectrum right now. We understand that it's going to be the religious right, which is obviously with the Republican Party, that will eventually push for a Sunday law. So you don't want to be a big diehard, you know, pushing for the, the right in America without realizing that at some point prophetically, and it could be very soon, they will push for a Sunday law which will turn into intolerance and eradicate all freedoms for those who worship God, according to, to what the Bible says. But I'm also concerned about what I'm seeing from the left right now. That didn't make any sense. What I'm seeing from the, the left of America. Because what I'm seeing from the left in America reminds me very much of what happened in the French Revolution. And if we say that America is all bad, that the Christian principles of civil and religious liberty don't mean much, and all that matters is separation of church and state, let's just separate church and state. And if people lose their religious or their free exercise of religion, well, as long as church and state are separate, that's the only thing that matters. We start to see principles that are very much like the French Revolution, and we start to see Marxist principles, we start to see totalitarianism, um, we start to see things, and I'll just give you some examples. When the Supreme Court passed its ruling that allows for gay marriage in America, it set the stage for those of that persuasion to go against religious and Christian institutions that say, based on our beliefs of scripture, we don't allow for that practice in our institution. Well, based on the Supreme Court ruling, those on the left could go out and say, hey, you are infrig infringing on our civil liberties. Well, now you have this debate of, okay, the left civil liberties are being impinged upon, but what about the the school or the college or the institution or the church what about their religious liberty and the free exercise of religion that's where things become more difficult and when you have separation of church and state it's still with this christian principle that is god given that you have religious liberty you have civil liberty you have republicanism you have protestantism and the the one doesn't infringe upon the other if you don't have freedom of conscience if freedom of conscience 
is violated, then separation of church and state is meaningless. And so that's where we are in America right now. And so we have these issues that are, are before us. And, you know, I look at what's happening with the Supreme Court. It, it seems from what the news is suggesting that came out today that the president is going to nominate another Catholic. And if that confirmation goes through, you'll have seven Catholics on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. What happened to Protestant America? So that's concerning. And it's also concerning that the left is going so far as to bring in the principles of the French Revolution so that there's anarchy in the streets, buildings have been burned down, and the left is willing to go against the freedom of conscience for Christians. And so here's what's going to happen as I see where America is headed. The left is becoming radicalized as far as I can see. And by the way, please don't take this as me telling you who you should be voting for. I'm speaking against the clearly negative prophetic aspects of both the left and the right here. I see the left is the resurrection of the French Revolution element, we would see that before Jesus come back. And then the right, I see as being those who will carry out um, America speaking as a dragon with the passing of a Sunday law. So don't think that I'm siding with, don't think that I'm siding with one party versus the other. I'm not. Ellen White says that we cannot with safety vote for political parties. So be very careful when you analyze these issues. But I'm concerned that if we in our attempts as God's people to defend the separation of church and state. And then we start lining up with the left who say, let's get rid of God altogether. When you do that, you start to violate the religious liberty and even civil liberties of Americans and the freedom of conscience. And when you do that, the religious right is going to react against that very clearly, and that's going to lead ultimately to America speaking as a dragon through the passing of the Sunday law, because when Christians, and America is still a predominantly Christian nation based on the, the people who live in this country, most people will, will still, a majority of people will still identify as Christian, and if the left pushes things so far that freedom of conscience is violated, God is taken out of society completely to the point that Christians lose their freedom of conscience to the demands of the left, then eventually there's going to be this counter-reaction that will swing way too far to the right that will say it's time to bring God back to America and we're going to pass a law that will put people in church on Sunday so that we can get back to, to God as a nation. That's kind of where we are right now. That's where I see things prophetically. I just see that the left is becoming so extreme. They're instituting principles of cultural Marxism, where they have the language of the oppressed and the oppressor. <clears throat> There's totalitarianism that says you have to think the way we do. We'll tolerate you as long as you accept our viewpoint, but if you don't, we're going to come after you. We'll destroy your businesses, your churches, whatever else it may be. And that's not America. That's not civil and religious liberty in practice. That's French Revolution. That's anarchy. And that's not something we should be supporting. Neither should we be so aligned with the right that we 
would be um, in line with with what the the religious right is doing. You know, Ellen White has an interesting statement in in Great Controversy, page six hundred eight, that talks about what's going to happen. Um, at the time that, that Jesus comes back. This is Great Controversy, page 608. Listen to this very carefully. She says, the large class professed faith in the third angel's message, but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth, abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. And then the, here's the key sentence, by uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy popular side. Men of talent and pleasing address who once rejoiced in the truth employ their powers to deceive and mislead souls. They become the most bitter enemies of their former brethren. When Sabbath keepers are brought before the courts to answer for their faith, these apostates are the most efficient agents of Satan to misrepresent and accuse them and by false reports and insinuations to stir up the rulers against them. Here's what I want you to think about. So the storm is approaching and there's a large class here professed professed faith in the third angel's message, but they have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth. How did they not become sanctified through obedience to the truth? Well, the next sentence tells us it's by uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit. They have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy popular side. Be careful if you have united with either political party. Because you, when, you, when you unite with the spirit of the world, and both political parties are giving you the spirit of the world, you come to view matters in the light of your preferred political party rather than through the prophetic lens of end-time prophecy. Revelation 11, anarchy, French Revolution, we don't want to be part of that. Revelation 13, apostate Protestantism, we don't want to be part of that. We want to be on the Lord's side. And as Seventh-day Adventists, we can't find safety in either political party. Now, at the same time, having said that, we want to do everything we can with our understanding based on Revelation 13 to defend the two horns of civil and religious liberty, which are like Christ. Those principles come from Jesus himself. He gives us religious and civil liberty. He even gives us the liberty to not choose to follow him. But he doesn't force us or compel us to do anything. But when America uses force and speaks like a dragon, then we know that the end is near when the Sunday law is passed. Those are some things that we really need to be mindful of as Seventh-day Adventists. As we see the, the end approaching, we want to be on the Lord's side. We don't want to be aligned with either political party. And I'm sorry, but I see a lot of my friends, Seventh-day Adventist friends on Facebook, who are more well-versed in flushing out the arguments of the great political debates of the day than they are in promoting the three angels' messages. The answer for today is not either political party. It's the three angels' messages. Those are the messages that God has given us to take to the world, to prepare the world for the soon coming of Jesus. To be a Seventh-day Adventist, not a Republican, not a Democrat, or any other political party, but to be a Seventh-day Adventist, and to stand on the Lord's side, and to be part of the Third Angel's message, and to defend the civil and religious liberty of everyone. Let's defend the civil and religious liberty of all, and let's do what we can with the time that we have left to give the Three Angel's messages to the world around us. So I'm going to 
offer a prayer to, to close, and then I'll turn things back over to Luke. So let's just um, pray as we close. Father in heaven, thank you so much for being with us this evening. As we see the prophetic peril in America today, I just pray that we would be on the Lord's side, that we wouldn't be on either side of either political party, but that we would stand on the Lord's side and that we would give a clear message to a lost and dying world that Jesus is coming soon and that now is the time to come out of Babylon and to be ready to meet Jesus when he comes. May we be faithful. May we be found ready. Thank you for all that you've done for us and may each one of us choose to stand with a lamb. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.